Well, good morning. I've spoken about this before, but not with the confidence that it deserved. Not because the theory is unsound or it doesn't apply to everything we've been talking about, or it isn't transformational, important, yada, yada, yada. It was because of my lack of confidence. But in the last few days, I'll give you an example. Uh, there is a professor from the University of Toronto, John Verveke, and pardon me if I mispronounce that. Um, he's quite interesting. Uh, he's got a series going on right now. I think it's Voices with Verveke, Science, Spirituality, and the Meaning Crisis. And uh, earlier in the week, he had an interview with uh, Jules Evans, if I'm remembering. He called it Street Philosophy and Spirituality. Uh, Jules is interesting. He wrote a book called um, The Philosophy of Life and Other Dangerous Situations, The Art of Losing Control, A Philosopher's Search for Ecstatic Experience, and Breaking Open, Finding a Way Through Spiritual Emergency. We've talked about these dark night in the soul. Trauma is um, what I'm... Uh, well, it's my concentration right now. Why? Because I argue I just I never thought of it till now rather than I've talked about this I translate dukkha commonly translated as suffering I translated it as dissatisfaction uh, once I began to really understand Sanskrit and be able to translate for myself I've actually translated dukkha as bad air du as bad right du and su sukha being good air um but of course, like it's an expression. So when you mention that to someone and go, oh, dukkha is good air. And they're like, yeah, open a dictionary. And you'll see that that is what it means. The character, the, uh, the term, the idea, the, the meaning is bad air. But the idea is, and this is what we're going to get to here, is free energy principle. The idea that it's only bad air because you're either not paying attention to what you should, you're ignoring reality uh, of the situation, uh, or you're trying to, uh, you know, encourage a certain outcome. So the idea of bad air, if you're being driven by selfish goals or you're being delusional or selfish, sorry, I said selfish twice. The idea is if you're not being directed by the proper uh, goal, uh, you're not going to get the outcome you're looking for, so you're surrounded by dissatisfaction. Uh, well, from a Buddhist perspective, they go together. So remember that um, the three marks of existence is dukkha, nutta, nicca. So not self, meaning... Um, don't attach to the self. Uh, the self is just a tool uh, that we use to go about, but also uh, a tool for our liberation. But it's also our greatest barrier to the same. And impermanence. Impermanence teaches us both that uh, the dissatisfaction in life flows from our attachment to things, uh, our lack of belief in impermanence. Uh, but it's also the way to read um, what is not, not self, what is uh, this idea of minimizing the self or the nature of self. 
I highly recommend you read the Satipatthana Sutra because you'll read um, the foundations of mindfulness, right? Your breath, you can follow the breath. It gives you a good variable but somewhat constant uh, um, item to, to attach one's attention to, observe, and the observed. And next is the body. Right, in the Satipatthana, which is just the way of mindfulness, Sati, to remember. The body is also uh, in the jhanas, but here we're using it um, to not only uh, meditate on, uh, but we also use it to see into the nature of uh, impermanence and equanimity, because in the Satipatthana Sutra, it actually begins to talk about how, you know, your skin and bone is no different than anyone else's or any other uh, creature's skin and bones. Now, the third one is my favorite, uh, Sampajana, Sati Sampajana. That's uh, remember or to be mindful, uh, to bring clear comprehension to all of life's daily activities. Clear comprehension, that's free energy. That's what we're going to talk about today. So there is a um, psychiatrist, Carl Friston. Um, he's been, uh, well, sorry, I'll explain. I found the free energy principle a little while back. I thought it was perfect. I thought it matched yoga care. I thought of the nature of self. I thought it was a great way um, to understand the nature of self. Now, where the problem comes in is supposedly Carl Friston himself doesn't explain it all that well. I've gone and read it again, and I find it's pretty easily uh, understood. The way I always explained it was the mind or the physical somatic piece is the predictive engine. So I'm going to read a little bit more uh, of free energy, but... It's a predictive engine. The self is there to help the predictive engine to uh, pr produce better predictions, right? We want to minimize our surprise. The self is also there to inform the predictive engine as to our actual sensory experience, what's going on in the world. Now, there's theories come where this disconnect might happen. We're either not in the present, so we're not even experiencing um, or we're not paying attention to the right stuff. It's, it's a wonderful way to see it. So the reason why we've gotten back to this is after that excellent discussion with Jules Evans, and he talks about, and this is what I wholly believe in, bringing philosophy back into popular culture as a cultivation of wisdom in the search for meaning in life. I've always felt that because... Having been taught French early on, I uh, I understand that philosophy, philosophe, is just simply the love of um, of wisdom. So here we uh, we have Carl Friston. He said that uh, his love began with a 1920 book, Space, Time, and Gravitation, by. Um, Pardon my memory is absolutely atrocious, and I'll never find the gentleman's name because it just 
Eddington. He wrote about relativity. So I'm just going to read the conclusions of a paper from Cambridge that was written about the free energy principle. It's written by a psychoanalyst, so you'll understand his particular bent, but I don't think he's wrong. In fact, I think I've even mentioned it in previous podcasts that the talking cure, because of my trauma research, is back in vogue. And so is this. And I guess we're seeing me develop my own protocol for healing trauma, not based on anything except taking what works from any one little system and applying it, as we all should, personally. So the conclusions, and I'm going to read the beginning, but I'm going to read the, the conclusions first to get an idea of why. I'm pretty chuffed about this. So if rehabilitation of the psychoanalytic method in the light of the FEP, free energy principle, comes as a pleasant surprise, it is consistent with its principle. As in Mark Twain's trope, rumors of psychoanalysis of death have been greatly exaggerated. In place of despair, disappearance, the FEP suggests that repair is possible. FEP-grounded psychoanalytic approaches such as MBT, that's mindfulness-based therapies, are now known to help those with profound mental distress. They also suggest a scientifically sound account of the interpersonal and neuronal mechanisms by which psychological change comes about. <coughs> oh, my apologies. What we can see there is how, um, how a psychoanalyst uh, simplifies the free energy principle, that it's simply us trying to accord, um, well, the neuronal mechanism is trying to accord what we expect with our actual outcomes, right? So let's jump to the top of this page because it actually is not too, too bad. The summary of Friston's free energy principle, the new life for psychoanalysis, question mark? This was just submitted um, to the Department of Psychology uh, University of Exeter. No, well, it's published at Cambridge. Neither here nor there. The summary is as follows. The free energy principle, FEP, is a new paradigm that has gained, well, gained, but has gained widespread interest in the neuroscience community. Although its principal architect, Carl Huston, is a psychiatrist, it is thus far had little impact within psychiatry. This article introduced readers to the FEP, points out its consilience with Freud's neuroscientific ideas and the psychodynamic practice, and suggests ways in which the FEP can help explain the mechanisms of action of the psychotherapies. As I said, it's funny for me because he wrote uh, this, I think, going back as far as 2007, and as I said, I've heard different stories as to why it's not more mainstream, more popular. Um, you know, I've heard reasons that it's too difficult to understand and all these different ideas. So free energy. Um, let's see here. So this is a different article. This is from Frontiers in Psychology, Free Energy Minimization and the Dark Room Problem. I actually liked how this guy explained it because what he did, uh, this is by Carl Fristen, Christopher Thornton, and Andy Clark. 
the Wellcome Trust Center for Neuroimaging, the University College of London. That's where Carl Friston is. I believe the Wellcome Trust Center is his own center. Uh, the Informatics, University of Sus Sussex in Brighton, the UK, and the School of Philosophy, Psychology, and Language Sciences, the University of Edinburgh in Scotland. Uh, so he says, recent years have seen the emergence of an important new fundamental theory of brain function. This theory brings information, theoretic, Bayesian, neuroscientific, and machine learning approaches into a single framework whose overarching principle is the minimization of surprise, or equivalently, the minimization of expectation. I like that he added that. That is so true. So the idea is to predict our environment based on right uh, the data and, and you know a certain amount of algorithm that we could call educated guessing, intuition. But at the same time, um, the minimization of expectation. I love that because if we think about it, that's where I'm coming from. Trauma is an expectation, a constant, uh, ever overarching uh, uh, cloud of, of expectation. And it goes on, the most comprehensive of such treatment is the free energy minimization. Carl Friston, yeah, 2007, wrote, updated again in 2010, so not that old. A recurrent puzzle raised by critics of these models is that biological systems do, do not seem to avoid surprises. We do not seek a dark, unchanging chamber and stay there. This is the dark room problem. Here we describe the problem and further unpack the issues to which it speaks. Using the same format, as Eddington's space, time, and gravitation. We present our discussion as a conversation, conversation between an inform, information theorist, Thornton, a physicist, uh, Friston, and a philosopher, Clark. Oh, he's a physicist. Right. So he goes on and they talk and they go back and forth. And they just talk about the free energy principle. And what do they talk about? It's exactly what I said. They just talk about that. Um, it's an excellent way uh, to get into um, how we can understand not only w w why we have so much trouble with um, expectations, surprise, um, and, you know, the issues surrounding the self. What's interesting is, as I said, John Verveke in his ongoing series, had an interview with a gentleman by the name of Mark Miller. Mark Miller is again in this, let's see, Mark's distinguished between a pathological version as in depersonalization and self-transcendence that can be conducive to the cultivation of meaning. Okay, so he, Mark has made use of that as well. Well, anyways, Mark Miller believes Initially, he was wondering whether the experience of depersonalization and derealization, this, um, I can't remember what he called it, but he's trying to see the nature and function of the self. So he was wondering if the Buddhist concept of not-self was similar to this depersonalization, depersonalization, derealization. 
And coming from someone who's experienced, I got to say that it is a diametric opposite to the actual liberation of self, because it's not a minimization of like self in a depersonalization. It's a minimization of the, um, the, uh, the importance, the absolute importance of uh, self. Uh, it's what we've talked about, the equanimity, uh, that uh, I am no different than, right? The, we were talking about this earlier, the, the idea that my bone and skin and flesh is no different than the bone and skin and flesh of uh, the animals that I, uh, I would say some of us eat. So the idea here, um, they kind of mentioned free energy and and uh in their discussion it is quite a quite a a pithy um discussion but at the same time there was a lot of um padding there was room for some real uh deep discussion but i think the reason here is um i don't know if these two gentlemen have discussed before by the way mark miller is in ai and cognitive science something like that he's over in japan right now working on this sort of stuff so they said that they were going to you know set up another talk and i certainly hope so because i uh, highly recommend this series um i think it's uh, it's wonderful especially if you do your own research into uh, i mean that's what i love like when you go and look at that paper on uh, the free energy minimization right free energy is the surprise uh, when you look at the reference to these papers, you find all sorts of great, um, great articles and books to read. So on that, I'm going to leave it. Um, just wrap it up with, um, I can't add much to it as the Yoga Karan. Uh, that's exactly the way the Yoga Karan see it. Uh, the idea of mind-only school isn't that nothing else exists. It's that our relation to the universe and ourselves happen all within the mind. So our perceptions and our outcomes are wholly managed by oneself. So on that, let's see if I can find podcast app and end for the day. <laughs>